Okay, so we're moving in to the book of Ephesians. So yes, we are going to be in the book of Ephesians for the next year. We're taking a short hiatus in the summertime, but other than that, we're going to be here week in and week out. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 1. If you don't have your Bible, it's in your worship guide. If you don't have your worship guide, there's a journal back in the back. And if you don't have one of those yet, you should get one and start marking it up. And if you don't have any of those, it's right here on the screen. Get your glasses out because it's hard to see if you're in the back. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1. We're going to look at this passage this week. We're going to look at this same passage next week. But our focus is going to be different on these two particular weeks. If you're at home, this may feel a little bit different, but I want you all to read it silently first, maybe with a pen in hand, and just see what you see. But as you're looking at it today, the lenses that we're looking through are God's providential plan, okay? The fact that He has a plan. So we're going to read through three sections silently, and then I'll read the section, and then the second section, and then I'll read it, and then the third, and then we will jump into our message. So right now, if you will, read through the first five verses. Okay. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Now read 6 through 10. Okay to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. 11 through 14. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray together. Oh God, we just received Your word that we are told in 2 Timothy is breathed out by you. And what our desire is this morning is that your word 
would reveal itself to us and point us to the gospel, that we would more clearly see your love for us and this amazing plan that you have for us. And Lord, every week I say it, my words are many, so I pray that the words that are of me would fall to the ground and the, the words that have eternal value would stick. God, I pray that you would open up Ephesians and change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, quick introduction, um, review, things that we've talked about in the past week. So what are, somebody tell me, what are the three sections of Ephesians that we're going to be walking through over the next year? The first one, position, okay? We're in position right now. We're going to be in a position for a long time. This is the first three chapters of Ephesians. We understand where we are in Christ, positionally. The second P is practice. How do we take what we know to be true and how do we apply it and live it out on a daily basis at work, at home, just with our lives? Okay, and then the last one, the last P is protection. And we'll jump into that in Ephesians 6 where we see we understand who we are in Christ. We're trying to walk and serve Christ and the enemy hates us and he hates what we're doing and he will come against us with a very unholy vengeance and God has given us the power to fight him in his strength. So those are the three P's. Last week we looked at a couple of definitions. Um, I'll hit those quickly. We looked at saint. Remember there aren't like super Christians. A saint is a believer of the gospel and a follower of Jesus Christ because of his or her faith. They have been set apart and declared by God to be holy as Christ's righteousness has been imputed to people that follow him and that believe in him. So if you are sitting here this morning and you say, I believe the gospel, then you are a saint, okay? You don't have to attain and work to sainthood. Uh, that is something that was man-made. Okay, grace, we said grace is the channel in which God has chosen to pursue us and to bless us undeservedly. That's why it's called grace. We don't deserve it and he gives it to us anyway. Peace, because of Christ, peace is our standing with God. We are at peace with God. Okay, and then lastly, it was just a bonus we threw in just because it was there twice. Father, we saw in Scripture, we didn't go into great detail with it, but we definitely saw in Scripture that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all He's in Scripture. But we talked about um, how the best, uh, you know, in the Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, of who He is in a, in a man and in a woman, He represents the best of those, but He is a He. Um, and then lastly, we encouraged everyone to read a book. Um, Shane Darling gave me an enthusiastic um, thumbs up yesterday as he read through Sit, Walk, and Stand by Watchman Nee, so I encourage you to read that. It's easy. He read it twice. You read it twice? He gets bonus points for that. Okay, he says he did not read it twice. Yes, yes. And the other thing is, tomorrow's Monday, so what chapter are you to read tomorrow? Ephesians 1. Okay, I encourage you. In fact, I went in and put it in my phone this morning because I had not done so. Ephesians 1 on Monday, Ephesians 2 on Tuesday, and so on and so forth. And then on Sunday, we'll come in and not read Ephesians except for what we're preaching on uh, that day. So here's a question for you. What is like visually, what's the most amazing thing that you ever have seen that you've taken multiple pictures of? Where have you gone? What have you seen? He said his wife. No. Yes, yes, but no, that's not what we're fishing for. So think about a monument, think about a mountain, think about something. What have you seen? Throw it out. Victoria Falls. Victoria Falls? Horseshoe Bend? 
Grand Canyon? Okay, everybody's got one, okay? And you've gone there, and when you saw it, your mouth just kind of dropped open. Now, have you had your camera with you? Can you go back and look at pictures of that thing, and do you see it from multiple angles? You see down this way, you see up on top, you see you know, from this side and from this side. Do you have those? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I, I mentioned that to you because that's exactly what we're doing in position of Ephesians. That's exactly what we're doing. The thing that we have come to that's in front of us, Grand Canyon-like, is the gospel. It's the glorious gospel of what Jesus has done, and gospel means good news. Today, we're looking at the gospel from this angle right here. Right Next week, we're going to be looking at it from here, and then here, and then here. And at some point in time, you know, at some point in time, like my wife's going to say to me, or your husband or wife's going to say to you, we're kind of talking about the same thing every week. And I'm going to say, yes, that is exactly right. Because if we do not understand our position in Christ, if we do not understand it and allow it to just permeate our fiber, our, our very being, then what we will do is our default for living out the gospel will be to allow it to fall on our own shoulders and we will try to be really, really good people. And we will disappoint ourselves and we will disappoint others and we will ride a roller coaster up and down. And Jesus says, you don't have to do that. I've spent three chapters right here helping you to understand who you are in Christ. So we're going to look at this through different angles. We don't want you to have a bumpy ride. We want it to be a smooth flow and over and over and over we just go back to the gospel. Now in this passage a couple of things I want you to notice right off the bat. Um, I've said this several times that we're looking at the gospel, we're looking at this thing from a heavenly perspective and a heavenly you know, panoramic, okay? We're not looking at it through our eyes, we're looking at it through His eyes. We're, we're understanding that I don't get it because I don't feel it and I don't see it, but he sees me as a saint because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm choosing to believe that. So that's, that's the thing that we'll see in how we're looking at the gospel. But in this first passage, these first 14 verses, you'll see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all as a part of the salvation. So if you'll notice in verse number 2, it says, grace and peace coming from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see, continue to see that language all the way into, you know, throughout verse 12. And then in verse number 13, which we're going to talk about in two weeks, I think, maybe three, it's the promised Holy Spirit coming to seal this salvation as a guarantee of our inheritance. Um, God, three parts, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all with an equal part of rescuing us and providing salvation for us. The second thing that I want you to see and this one's critical, okay, critical, is that um, as we walk through this panoramic view and this lens of the gospel this morning, it is also written not only informationally for you to understand who you are, but it is written in a spirit of worship and of adoration. Paul's having an inspired moment here. You know, the words are flowing out of his heart. And I said a couple of weeks ago, if you'll notice... Verse number 3, I think it's all the way through like verse number 12, 13, or 14. It's all one very long sentence. Okay, And in this very long sentence, he's seeing what God has done for him and for us. 
And then over and over and over, he's just declaring his praises. Here's four times he says in verse number three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a blessing unto God for what he has done. After this first section that we read, he then declares to the praise of his glorious grace. And then after verse number 12, again, he declares to the praise of his glory. And then after verse number 14, he says once more, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his renown. He is hallowed. He is majestic. His glorious grace, we are so undeserving. And on this Valentine's Day, we understand a little bit about love, but we wouldn't even understand what love was if it weren't for the fact that God is love. And because he loved us, he gave himself for us. And everything that our hearts long for, everything that we've been looking at from three weeks ago ago, horizontally, whether that be a truck, whether that be you know, a relationship, whether that be money or, a, you know, just acceptance, all of these things, they will not satisfy us. And that's why we go from one thing to another thing to another thing. And the answer is always the gospel. You know, we spent time one strong week talking about the struggle with sexual temptation. And it's the same thing. We need to keep that in the light, people. That's been part of our discussion this week. We've had people come out into the light for the first time. And there's great conversations that are taking place. But we need to hammer it home over and over and over. It's our position in Jesus Christ. It's what He has done in our relationship with Him vertically that enables us to say no to this thing. And because of that, and because of His glorious grace, when we see who we are and what He has done, and He has actually given the answer, it should overflow from our hearts. And we should say, blessed be you, God, to the praise of your glorious grace, to the praise of your glory. It's not religion, it's relationship. And if we understand the relational component of salvation, we must Not we should, but we must praise Him or we are missing the whole point. So now I want us to walk slowly back through this passage. And as we do, we're going to look at the unveiling of His divine, His providential, and His planned outworking of salvation. He has come to bring salvation to sinful people, but He has done so with a very specific plan. Okay, we're going to look at Paul's life specifically. So let's look at the very beginning. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. By the will of God. In, In order for us to better understand the magnitude of this one little statement, you know, here's Paul and he's saying, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Let's turn to, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts Chapter 7, verse 54. We're going to look at a very lengthy passage here, unapologetically. Acts 7, 54 and following. The setting here, if you're there, is there's a disciple by the name of Stephen. He's doing amazing things, declaring the truths of God, he is declaring the truths of God with what we call at Redstone Elizabethan tremendous gospel boldness. He has stood in front of the high priest. 
and everyone who would listen, and he's told of how God has, from the very beginning, from Abraham all the way into Christ, been bringing salvation to, to them, and how they have rejected him over and over and over. Messiah has come, and you just killed him. Okay, so let's pick it up in verse number 54 to see what happens next. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Can you just picture that? You ever get so angry at your sister or your brother-in-law or whomever, and you just grind your teeth? You know, you got some things that you want to say, but instead you just grind your teeth. That's what's happening here. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast their, um, out, him out of the city and they stoned him. So they're gnashing their teeth. Right? They're, they're like, you know what? I don't want to hear a word you're saying. And then they all rush him, and they pick up stones, and they begin to stone him. Listen to this. And the witnesses laid down their garments. This is when they take off their hats. They take off their jacket because they're, they're just angry, and they go after him. They lay down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen, and he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, or he died. Verse number 8, the first uh, five, six words, and Saul approved of his execution. So here's our first look at Paul. But at this time, he had not had his name changed from Saul to Paul, but this is him. This is Paul. This is the writer of the book of Ephesians, people. Do you see this? He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and in some ways he was a religious jihadist. He was killing people, having them stoned and having them put in prison, and he thought that he was doing the right thing and that his God was honored in the process. Let's uh, fast forward to Acts chapter 9. So turn over another page. It's a lengthy passage. So Stephen dies. Now Paul, or Saul, I should say, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked them for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, and the way here just means Christianity, if you find any followers of Jesus, men or women, that he could bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's going after the Christians. He's gotten permission to go get the Christians and to bring them back and to throw them into prison. And as he's going on his way, he approaches Damascus and suddenly, suddenly, thinking about the will of God here, suddenly, in a rare moment, in the middle of just a normal day, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I was thinking about that passage over the past couple of days and thinking about like just us. You know, you're going on your way throughout your normal week, you know, from you know, Sunday through Monday. At any point in time, if Jesus were to stop you in your tracks, 
what would he say to you? I mean, what would he say? Would he bless you? Would he say, thank you? You're following me. You're following me well. You're confessing your sins quickly. You're pointing people to me. Or are there some here today that he would look at you and say, why are you persecuting me? Or why are you fighting against me? Or why are you ignoring me? Or why are you running to everything or everyone else except for me? It's a good question to ponder as we think about what's happening here. But in this moment, he's looking at Saul and he's saying, I'm Christ and you're persecuting me. Verse number 10. Now there was a disciple at at, at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord says to Ananias in a vision, Ananias, he says, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man named Tarsus, named Saul, for behold, he is praying. So this Saul has gone from rejecting and persecuting Jesus, and now he's praying to him because he is blind and he is desperate. And he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might again regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many of, about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints, followers of Jesus, your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your names. Ananias is afraid. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And if you go on to verse number 18 and 19 through 21, it says, and immediately after he comes in and and he understands the gospel, immediately something like scales falls from his eyes. And this Saul regains his sight. He rises, he's baptized He takes food, he's strengthened, and for days he's with the disciples at Damascus, and in verse number 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard it were amazed, and they said, isn't this the same guy who was wreaking havoc in Jerusalem? You know, and now he's calling upon Jesus and proclaiming the name of Jesus? And you see here this this plan. You know, this is a lengthy, lengthy passage But Saul was a persecutor of Christians. And in the divine, providential mercy and grace of God, Jesus meets him where he's at. He allows him to be able to see and understand the gospel. The scales fall off of his eyes. And for the rest of his life, unto death, he would say, to me is, you know, Christ. You know, to to, to live is Christ and to die is gain, actually, is what he said. He gives his whole life to Jesus Christ. Not because he was good, not because of his own righteousness or anything else that he had done, but because of Christ's mercy. While he was persecuting Christians, God sought him out. This is why Ephesians 1 says, Paul, an apostle, of Jesus by the will of God. And then Jesus changes his name from Saul to Paul, so we know him as as Paul. But it makes me think about this amazing passage in Romans 5.8 that you can make reference to or look up. And it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were running to anything and everything but Him, He died for us in that moment. We can't work for our salvation. It is by the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. So let's not be so quick to read over passages like Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for it's this will of God language that permeates Ephesians 1, that permeates this position section that we're going through, and that permeates every bit of our very lives. We see the will of God working itself out in our lives. God is the master planner. He is the master implementer. And he is the one whose will will come to fruition. Let's go back and look at the passage again. I had you read it slowly, hoping that maybe that you would see some of this language. And if you didn't, that's okay. We're going to show it to you now. In 14 verses, I can find 14 ways that his providential will is done in the language that's there. So let's start in verse number one. By the will of God. Paul is made an apostle by the will of God. Let's see if I can put these up here. Nope. Okay. By the will of God. God blessed us. Did I give you point number one? I didn't, did I? Let me give you point number one. Sorry, it's, it's in your worship guide. In the details of God's working salvation for us. If they do not cause us to worship, then we're missing something like Paul. Our response must be blessing and praises unto him. That was part of our introduction. So now, continuing on. So by the will of God, Paul is made an apostle. God blesses us before the foundation of the world. We were predestined for adoption according to the purpose of His will. Do you see this? you see the language? He lavished salvation upon us in verse number 8, in all wisdom and insight. Verse number 9 says, He makes known the mystery of His will. Also in verse number 9, His will that was according to His purpose. Verse number 9, His will that was set forth in Christ. Verse number 10, as a plan. Verse number 10, for the fullness of time. Verse number 11, having been predestined. Verse number 11, according to the counsel of His will. Verse number 13, we receive the promised. God fulfills His promises. The promised Holy Spirit. And verse number 14, that when God promises it, it's going to be guaranteed to come to fruition. That's just in these verses. You know, remember when we went through Advent this year and over and over and over we looked at Galatians 4.4 which says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Well, that's what we're seeing here. The fullness of time. The fact that God had a plan. And this plan was put in motion before the world even began, which leads to our second point. From the beginning of time, God has had a plan. This was in your worship guide. 
If you didn't get point number one, see me afterwards, or I can go back to the slide later. But from the beginning of time, God has had a plan for bringing salvation to a people He would call His own, and in His glorious providence, in His glorious providence, He has been executing that providential plan perfectly and precisely to the praise of His glory. And that was the introductory point. You can get bogged down into, you know, what does he mean by predestination and chosen before the foundation of the world? We're going to look at those, those words, and we're going to look at the, the doctrines of each one of those. And they're hard, and they're not easy to understand, and I'll never fully comprehend them, and neither will you. But you see, Paul did not get bogged down in them. Instead, it just brought praise coming from his heart because he recognized I was the guy that said, yes, stone Stephen. I was the guy that was having people put in prison. I was the guy that was persecuting Jesus and fighting against him, and by his marvelous grace, he has rescued me. So Paul's response is that of praise. He's had a plan, and I was included in his plan all along. That's why when we open up our Bibles to Genesis 1 and we read, in the beginning, God, it's much more than in the beginning of time as we knew it or know it. It's the beginning of God's plan of redemption to create a people in His own image and then to go after them and to rescue them and to reveal His love to them in a very specific and a very precise way. And this is over my pay grade and yours as well. There's no way that I can fully comprehend or understand all of these things, but I see it all throughout Scripture. Here's a couple of examples. I could find 50 of these probably pretty quickly, and you could as well. But listen to this one. This is Luke 19, 30 and 31. Jesus says, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, which no one has ever sat on. Untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks... Why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord needs of it. Well, that sounds strange and peculiar. The Lord's saying, I want you to start walking, and the moment that you get to this town that you're going to, you're going to see a colt, and it's going to be over here, and it's going to be untied. And you're going to find out that that colt's never been sat on before. We kind of skip through those passages. You know, we don't pay any attention to them. But what we need to understand in those passages is that God has a plan. God has a plan. I think about this one in Mark 14, 13 through 16, it says, and he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, okay, so here we are again, go into the city, and you're going to see a man carrying a jar, and he will come to meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples, and he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, prepare for us, and the disciples set out and went to the city, and they found everything exactly like Jesus had told them, and they prepared the Passover. He had a plan. It's not random. Things aren't just happening. I think that he knew that Trump wasn't going to be reelected. You know, these kinds of things that we just get um, frustrated there was a phrase I was going to use, and Katie McCain said, don't use it anymore, so I'm not going to. So um, this phrase, you know, this idea of just getting frustrated 
Um, because it's like this thing is un, 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 un spiraling out of control. God is sitting on his throne, and his plan is coming to fruition. So this is one of the you know, things I put in your worship guide. But when we look at this, when we understand his providential plan, question number one, and you can yell these out to me or spit them out, what do we learn about God as we come to understand that he does have a specific and detailed plan? What is that telling us about God and his character? What do you think? Audience participation. He is sovereign, says Sam Adams. What else? He's trustworthy, says Kara. I have that one down as well. So gold stars for both of you guys. What else? Never caught off guard. He's very patient. Very, very patient. He's not worried. He's orderly. He's in charge. He's faithful. He's sovereign. All of these things. So then the second question to us is, how can the fact that God does have a plan that He will bring to fruition, how should that give us peace as a church? How should that give us peace individually as we go through trying times? or even as our nation or world look like that they are in chaos around us? I mean, how should that impact us? Make it personal. What are you going through right now? Where are you continuing to look horizontally for this relationship to satisfy you, and it will not? God knew. He knew. We have these amazing gatherings, and it's, I know I'm the guy, so it's, I'm always referring to the guys' gatherings, but we get together for coffee and we hang out and stuff. And we had an amazing conversation this past Thursday morning just about how God allows us to go into wildernesses, into deserts, in His providential plan. We wouldn't understand how our hearts are longing for all of the wrong things if He did not allow these things into our lives. But then, in a moment... He drops down upon us and it helps us to see that He's still there with us and we begin to understand the mercy of God, we understand the grace of God in ways that we would not have understood if we not, had not gone out searching for Him in all of the wrong places. He allows that so that in His perfect, perfect timing, He can reveal Himself to us. And when you see it, your response can't help be, blessed to you, O oh God. I don't understand a lot of what's written in Ephesians 1. I will do my level-headed best to teach it. And when I get tripped up, I'm having Sam speak that particular Sunday. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Think about when, if you are a believer, when you came to faith. With me, it was a random Saturday evening, and you've heard this story before. It wasn't a special Saturday. I was with friends. I was sowing my wild oats. There was more fun being had than is legal in the state of Tennessee. But I was empty and did not realize it. 
I went to the bathroom at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I looked into the mirror. And in some random moment, my eyes looked back at my eyes, and I saw myself as a sinner before a holy God. And I was broken. Why? Why then? Why that moment? I don't know. What do you do at 4 o'clock in the morning? You know, I'm struggling for an hour. I'm weeping. I'm, people are like, what is wrong with you? I picked up the phone and called my pastor. He met me at the church. Imagine that. But never do that, people. Never call your pastor at 3 o'clock in the morning. That is a foolish thing to do. That should be point number three. But in that moment, in that moment, it was as Jesus were saying, Jerry, why are you persecuting me? Why are you fighting against me? I did nothing, nothing to deserve salvation. It was 100% Christ. It was 100% of Him taking the scales off of my eyes and helping me to see my need of a Savior. And my response to that is the same now as it was then. To the praise of your glorious grace, O oh God. To the praise of your glorious grace. You have rescued me. It's amazing. Consider this passage from 1 Corinthians 26, 1, 26-31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. We all fit into this next sentence, don't we? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring nothing, the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I was the fool. I did not deserve salvation, but God. I was dead, but God. I was a rebel, but God. If there's going to be any boasting there, it can't be Jerry figured things out. He decided to go study the Bible and whatever else that I could use to pat myself on the back. No! If you're going to boast, you boast in the Lord because He had a plan and He allows us to be a part of that plan. Over and over. It is because of Him that we are in Christ Jesus and if we're going to boast, we boast in the Lord. So how about you, the people that are sitting here today? I know most of you. Some of you I don't know as well. There may be people that are sitting here this morning that have had the scales removed from their eyes, that had a season of boasting in the Lord and declaring His marvelous grace, but somehow... You've departed from that in the gospel and grace and you found yourself trying to work for your salvation. 
and trying to do the right things and you've become religious, you've tried to keep the law, and you've forgotten your first love. One of the things that you need to know about this book, the book of Ephesians, in this moment, Paul is declaring this amazing position of Jesus, who we are in Jesus, isn't he? For three chapters, we're going to see it over and over and over. At the end of chapter 6, one of the last things he says is to make sure that you remain in his love. You know what happens to the church of Ephesus 40 years later? When John goes on the island of Patmos, and this is where we get the book of Revelation, and Jesus looks at the seven churches, the very first church he addresses, you can look at it, is the book of, or the, um, the church of Ephesus. And he says, here's the things that I've seen in you that I love, but this I have against you. You've abandoned your first love. You have forgotten your first love. As we think about just the providence of God and His love, there are people that are here right now that saw that and the scales did come off of your eyes at three in the morning or four in the morning or whatever. And you declared His praises, but you haven't praised Him for that in a long time because you're just going through the motions. Stop it. Just stop it today. Just confess that and declare His praises openly. Thank Him. Repent. There are others that are here. The scales have not fallen from your eyes yet. You still continue to look horizontally for things to satisfy you. And you're frustrated and you're confused. You're angry, you're hurt, you're struggling because you're looking for all of the other things to satisfy you that only the gospel can. And you're here today by the will of God to hear the truth, that He loves you. He's given Himself for you. He has provided the answer that you cannot provide and you will not find in this world. So what do you do? You repent. Oh God, I'm sorry. And then you declare His praises and you follow Him the rest of your life. To the praise of His glorious grace. Over the next few weeks, we're going to jump into the specifics of the spiritual blessings that come our way in Christ. But today, we're just looking at the fact that He has a plan. And this is one angle of the Grand Canyon, and then we'll continue to look at other angles moving forward. But it's all the same thing. It's all the gospel. It's all His grace. It's all His goodness. And it's all His plan. But as we move through, we've got to make sure that He's our focus. Gospel understanding is our goal. But these things must spur us to praise Him, to worship Him, and to thank Him. And if not, we're missing the point. This is what Paul says. Jesus, I was Saul. I said, yes, go ahead, pick up the stones and stone him. I'll hold your cap. I'll hold your jacket. Go get him. Kill him. That was me. I was persecuting Christians. And by your will, oh God, you took the scales off of my eyes. How can we not but say, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to the praise of His glorious grace. I invite you to say it with me. Let's just say it aloud together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to the praise of His glorious grace. Allow that to come deep from within you as we move forward in our lives, but from this moment. Let's be still for a few moments, and then we'll enter into a time of communion. Father, during this just moment of silence, before we open up the microphone to what people might want to share, before we take communion, deal with us each individually. Oh God, the God who has a plan, and it's a good plan, and the God who loves us.